child struggles to stay regulated and they receive speech therapy, or teachers, this is for you too. I've got the perfect person that you need to hear from today. So I've brought you Jesse to the Special Education Inner Circle podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Witcher. And Jesse, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So I'm excited. I was scrolling Instagram. We're connected on there. And I'm like, ooh, you've got some knowledge when it comes to sensory, when it comes to speech, when it comes to all these different areas. And we're going to talk about all of that. But first, tell us, how did you end up at an IEP table? Awesome. Yes. So I have been in private practice my whole career. So right out of grad school, when you're a speech language pathologist and SLP, you do a fellowship. So I did that fellowship and I, I moved to Los Angeles and opened my private practice right after I finished. People thought I was crazy at the time. I think that's a lot more common now, but that's where I really got started, you know, work one-on-one with parents. And then after several years, um, I really kind of jumped more into the therapist training zone. And I realized that, you know, when I'm treating kids, I could see however many kids a week, maybe it's 30 kids a week, maybe in the school, some therapists are seeing 50, 60, 70, God forbid more, but sometimes that happens. But for me, I just realized that, you know, if I could, instead of working with directly with 30 families a week, what if I could work with, you know, 30 therapists a week, then how many families could we be able to impact? So I really, I've always kind of had this specialized training in autism since the beginning of my journey. And I really kind of went deep into that and, oh man, started writing some <laughs> articles, doing a bunch of trainings and then kind of here I am. Yeah. We, so we get obsessed with our, our certain areas. We, we were just talking about that before we hit record of like, you find your place where you're like, oh, oh, there's a gap here. And I want to help fill it because you know that it's something that's needed. So you built a professional development experience. Um, just tell everybody what is the name of that. And then we'll talk into kind of like why it was put together. Yeah, so it's called the Inside Out Sensory Certificate Program for SLPs. So it's a program designed specifically for SLPs. To be honest, when I opened the doors, I had absolutely no idea how it was going to be received. I didn't know how many people would sign up. I thought I'd be lucky if I got, you know, 15, 20 people. And so far, I mean, we've, we only opened it, maybe it's only been several months, but we've had hundreds of therapists from all over the world that have been trained. So it's been really incredible. Yeah, that's exciting. And, you know, as we're most of our listeners here, so we do have therapists that listen 100%. Everybody knows special education inner circle podcast is for parents, teachers, admins, therapists. So if you are an SLP, you're going to listen to this and be like, yes, like this is a gap. If you're not a therapist and you're listening to this, I want you to continue to listen because what we're going to talk about is what is missing. So sometimes when you're trying to figure out like, why is speech therapy not working? Why are these, you know, 30 minutes a week that, that we're in a, a group setting and we're trying our best with transitions and we're trying our best, you know, putting together a lesson plan for that session. And we're trying our best doing these things and it's not working. So a lot of times as an IEP team, you're looking for that missing piece and 
what I've heard from you is that there's a missing piece that if we're talking like trying to troubleshoot, you know, with speech therapy, that there's a missing piece that could be in the sensory kind of element domain that, that we're not addressing. So just share some of the things, some of your experience that you were just like, oh, this is why we need to educate. I know you've got a ton of stories. So just share with us what, what are some of those kind of situations that you saw? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually wrote an article on this for our national magazine, the ASHA Leader, which is the American Speech Language Hearing Association. And it was one of those articles I put out there. And I was so afraid because anytime you put something out there that you so deeply believe in, you never know how it's going to be received. And I've, I've written for them before. I never received the response like I did after this. And it was just an outpouring of therapists all over the, all over the U.S. saying, do you have more, more resources? Like, how can I do this? And here is what basically was the impetus for this article was I was having the same thing happen over and over in my private practice, which is I was seeing kids who were either recently diagnosed with autism or would likely be diagnosed with autism. And the parents would come in and they would say, my kid's not talking. Like I want him to talk. He's not talking. He says these words sometimes like he'll say juice when he really wants it. He doesn't say it always, or he'll say mom sometimes, but not always. And there's such a pressure on meeting a kid, maybe a three-year-old or four-year-old. And typically kids talk by that age, right? So parents come in and they're like, well, I want my kid talking. And then therapists feel this pressure of, I need to get this kid to talk. But what I was finding so often was that if instead of focusing on the language, we focus on these foundational skills. And in the article, I talked about improving regulation, engagement, and motivation. And it was kind of like when you put that at the forefront of your therapy, when your goal is to bring a kid in, get them regulated, get them engaged with you, get them motivated to be interacting with you, it made the rest of your job seamless because you're addressing these foundational skills. That was really kind of what I guess got me to, to hear. So do you feel like maybe, um, especially in the school setting, so, uh, you know, a speech and language therapist, like you said, they have, you know, 30 to 70 kids on their caseload and they've got this, you know, minimal allocated time and, you know, clinical therapy is so different than school therapy. Um, it's just, it's just a whole different thing. That's a whole different podcast episode to talk about the difference between the clinical and, and kind of the, the educational perspective of this. Do you feel like maybe they skip over and it's the intention to skip over this, like, let's focus on engagement or, you know, and not necessarily learning a new word. Let's focus on this relationship. Let's focus on making sure that, you know, we are regulated that, that they skip over it because of the time pressure. I think it's a few pressures. I think the pressure to meet their goals, which are usually language-based goals. Um, yeah, I think that the being able to justify, that's the question I get from therapists. How can I justify working on engagement? And um, to me, that all comes down to goal writing, which is obviously a really important part of the IEP, but something that I encourage therapists to do is instead of writing goals for 
you know, will produce three plus word utterances, writing goals for using total communication, because that gives us freedom and flexibility to, you know, target much more than just verbal language. That's interesting. So, you know, so many times, you know, I'm picturing that mom that you're describing that's just like, I want my child to talk. And that becomes their primary uh, focus is on those exact words when, you know, yes, we want the child to talk. Yes, I understand those words mean so much, but we really want to connect. We want to connect. We want to know their wants like juice. We want to know their needs. We want to know, you know, we want to hear them, you know, connect person to person. So like, that's an aha moment, I'm sure for a lot of our listeners. And here, I would love for our parents who are listening, who are hearing this, and you're having that same kind of moment of like, yes, like, yes, I want the words, but I need the connection and that total communication even more than a single word. I want you to give your therapist permission to focus on a relationship or on engagement um, in that. So give me an example of what maybe somebody who doesn't go this way, like that, that, they're just kind of traditional school speech and language therapists doing things, how their mentor taught them kind of thing. Um, what would a 30 minute session possible breakdown look like versus maybe 30 minutes where somebody's like, okay, I'm going to focus on total communication. What just kind of give me the picture of both of those. Yeah. Great question. And this kind of leads into what you were talking about, which is people want their kids to talk. Right. And the thing is, it's easy to, not easy, I guess isn't the right, right word, but we can get most kids to talk in some way. We could get a kid into a session or a few sessions and then be able to say, I want juice, I want ball, just by using more of like a structured kind of behavioral approach, like giving them a lot of things to request and just having them request over and over and over and over and drill and they're going to learn through repetition but the thing is that going back to what you pointed out it's not that the language it's the connection and we don't want to just teach kids to say I want juice I want ball I want shoes it's do you think I could put on my shoes today because if it's not raining I really want to go to the park you know that's the language we're looking for And if we can't help to build a child's regulation skills, then they're not going to have access to language like that. Um, Have you ever read The Whole Brain Child? I have. that book? Yeah, yeah. So I love that analogy because when I talk to parents about language development, I like to use a staircase analogy, which is that we've got these foundational skills at the bottom, like engagement, regulation, and then... I like to think of language being in the middle of the staircase. And what happens is like, what if you go to climb that staircase, but you're missing the bottom two stairs? You know, we're never going to get to the top of the staircase. We have to start at the bottom. And the analogy that I love from the book, The Whole Brain Child, The Upstairs Brain, and the upstairs brain is in charge of, you know, logical thinking and all of that complex language the downstairs brain is in charge of these automatic reflexive responses and when we are stuck in that downstairs brain we can't even access that we can't even access that part of our brain so um you know you try to think about a time when you're 
crying and you're so upset. And if someone came up to you and tried to have some kind of a philosophical conversation, you would be like, I cannot even think about what you're talking to me about right now. That's not happening. You know? So it's the same with our kids. When they come in, they're dysregulated. Their brain is not in a place where they have access to the language that we're trying to get them to learn. So maybe a traditional kind of, you know, 30 minute session is like skipping those bottom steps. And they went right into like, all right, let's think real hard <laughs> right now. Let's, let's work on this. <laughs> yeah. It might be like WH questions, showing pictures. Where is he? What's he doing? Um, following directions, activities, things like that. Um, and, you know, it's so hard to say what session maybe would look like focusing on regulation engagement, because it obviously depends on, you know, where the child's language skills are, but say I was working on, say I still had the goal of WH questions. Instead of sitting at the table, I might have the kid on a swing in our gym, which I know not all therapists have access to, but if they don't, they could have them running around the room on a scavenger hunt, you know, so that they're still able to get that movement in if they are a type of kid that likes movement but they're still able to target the same goals. Yeah, I love that. Just, um, you know, really looking for that multi-sensory kind of approach and looking at the, the child as a whole, that's so good. You know, a lot of times I would have a speech therapist come into my room when I was a self-contained teacher. And it was, you know, I can remember it being a lot of work to like get the students ready. Like the speech therapist is coming, like, let's do this. And she did, she wanted to come in and like hop right into work. And looking back, I mean, I was a young teacher then I didn't know any different. I was just like, well, the speech therapist comes in and does her job. I mean, there's a lot of teachers that are probably listening to this that have done this for 20 years. And they're still like, well, I don't know, like the speech therapist comes in and like, she's doing her job and I do my job. It just is what it is. But if you could collaborate and work on that sensory and that regulation and all of those things and have it set up to be interactive like that, gosh, I can just imagine how much more effective um, that would be. All right. I have a question. Cause you said WH questions and we all know, like, those are like in almost every IEP, like here's the WH questions. Let's work on them. And sometimes the child has been working on those. And I'm sure that you've seen it for two years, three years, four years, five years, that goal of WH questions looks the same way. So I'm going to give you a challenge here. And, and it may not be a challenge for you at all, but I will tell you, there are IEP teams that sit completely stuck. Like we've got these WH questions. We know the child needs to learn some type of WH answer because we ask questions all the time. We know they need to learn, but we've been doing this the same way for three to five years. What can we do differently? What might be something, and I know, you know, I'm not giving you a specific case and child in that, but let's just go to that kind of, um, let's say, uh, third grader, right? So we've done the preschool, we've done the kindergarten, we've done like, well, second grade is over. Like we've got the same goal now in third grade. And we're working on WH questions. What, where would you suggest to kind of go next? I love that question because it's something to think about with all goals, not just WH questions. Yeah, we talk about something... it all the time. Yeah, we, in the Master IP Coach Mentorship, I actually have a rule that if you've been working on the same goal for two years and the child has not made meaningful progress, that we need to rethink the rule. Like two years is my, is my. Absolutely. But I think that it's, it may not be the goal, you know, maybe it is, maybe it's the approach. Um, but I think the number one thing to think about, and, you know, I primarily work with autistic kids and there's this huge 
um, oh my gosh, there's just so much going on right now and within the autistic community and autistic adults talking about, you know, what is helpful for autistic kids or what would have been helpful when they were kids. And there's this huge debate over, are we actually teaching kids or are we just teaching them to be more compliant, right? So I think like with the WH question goal, the question is, well, do they actually struggle with these questions or are is the activity not motivating for them? Um, but there's so many levels of WH questions. So if we're talking about concrete questions, it's what's in the here and now? Could the child say, what's that? A water bottle. But what did you do today is an entirely different question, uh, which is a lot more abstract. But that's where regulation really comes into play because when we are not regulated, it's hard for us to access our language to be able to answer these questions. So is it that the child can't answer these questions or doesn't understand them? Or is it that they are not regulated or engaged in this or motivated by this um, in order to provide you with the you know, data that you need? Yeah. And I love that. We talk about that. Um, we have an IEP goal writing for the real world module inside of the Master IEP Coach Mentorship. And um, I, I ask all the time, like, uh, is it a preferred or non-preferred activity as we're trying to reach this goal? Because like, here's the thing. If you tell me to read a book on anything, like basically history, history is not my thing. Social studies was not my thing. Um, you asked me to read a book and answer a bunch of questions. I'm not going to do well on the test just because it's not a high interest area for me. Now you give me something that I'm interested in. I could like halfway glance at the book and probably ace the test um, just because it's a subject that that is a preferred subject. And we can do the same thing with students, you know, it's like, let's stop yeah. preferred activities and then shaming them for yes. like, never reach your goal. <laughs> That's actually an opinion I vocalize that I would say is sometimes unpopular, which is, you know, I get that kids have to do things in their life that they don't want to do. Like, I get that. Why does that need to be the case in our speech therapy sessions? If our goal is for them to learn and our goal is for them to learn language, why do they need to do non-preferred activities? There's this great quote I posted and I, I'm going to have to figure out who said it, but um, the quote is, Learning can only happen when a child's interested. If they're not interested, it's like throwing marshmallows at their head and calling it eating. Yeah, yeah. And that's- So what it's, if we're seeing kids in speech therapy and our goal is WH questions, then why does it have to be, here's this boring passage that you don't care about at all. And let's talk about the WH questions. Like, why can't it be talking about Pokemon, which they love? Yeah. And you know what, if you really think about it as an adult, and this is when I chuckle and I say, you know what, I, for the most part, I get to choose what I want to talk about now, you know, do I necessarily want to talk like there's adulting things, you know, like when you're talking about mortgages or finances, or the, I don't necessarily want to talk about those things, but I will force myself because I have to, you know, be an adult and, and do those kind of things. But for the most part, I only talk about things I want to talk about. If I'm not interested in the conversation, I walk away. And a lot of our students do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
this is like, I'm not interested. I'm going to leave the room now. And then we're like, oh, look at the non-compliant behavior of the child not participating. I'm like, maybe they're just yeah. expressing that they don't like and, it. And that's where the, the importance comes in for the self-advocacy goals. Yeah. You know, and goals can be written for self-advocacy for, you know, things like their sensory and emotional regulation too. I love um, that. You know, I think, it's interesting to hear coming from you as a speech therapist, you know, kind of saying like, let's look at this self-advocacy goal and integrate in there what they need sensory-wise or self-regulation-wise. That's not something we typically hear. I typically hear that from a teacher who's working on self-advocacy and an OT who's working on sensory and self-regulation. So that's, that's, I see the gap that you're looking to fill because that's not very typical um, for somebody to do that. All right. Yeah. And I, it no, makes me think about, you know, being in the classroom and I think it's, it's great that you have, you know, so many teachers and others who, who listen in on this and whatnot, but when it comes to sensory, we all have our preferences, right? We all have things we're sensitive to. I like my volume, the perfect level of volume, Chris, who you guys probably know, speech dude, if you've listened, I know you interviewed him. He likes it blaring, blaring music, way too much for me, very dysregulating. And, you know, when we're sitting in a conference and we're bouncing our foot on the ground or we're tapping our, regulating our body. So for so many kids who have sensory differences, it's just so important for teachers to be able to really validate that and if a kid is learning these self-advocacy skills like i think i threw an extra syllable in there um self-advocacy skills and they come up to their teacher and they say like hey i really feel like i need to move around could i stand in the back of the class instead of sit down for the next 10 minutes you know what is that work for if we can't get a teacher who's gonna say go ahead yeah yeah it's so important and it does it takes the entire team to figure out how are we going to kind of pull this off? How are we going to make sure? Because there are, you know, I talk about, oh, a child, you know, we assume they're non-compliant and they're leaving the room. And like I said, there's sometimes, and you said this too, there's sometimes you have to sit through the conversation. You don't want to be at the doctor's office, but you got to sit there. You don't want to be um, at the bank, but you have to be there. You don't want to be there and you have to get through it. That's, that's, that's a finding a whole other motivator <laughs> to, to get through some yeah conversations or some of those things we don't like, but I love how you just said, like, why do we have to make speech so difficult? Like we're, we're supposed to be working on communication and connection. Why can't we do it in a way that really works for the child? So Jesse, I want to just thank you for being here for everybody who kind of caught that where she mentioned Chris and speech dude, and yes, there's an episode and all that. I'll make sure to link that below here. um, So you guys can, can listen in on his episode too. You guys are uh, both on fire and dropping some truth bombs on Instagram. So we'll make sure that Um, The links are there. We'll make sure people um, know where to find your um, resources specifically for speech therapists and sensory. And I just want to encourage everybody to really look at speech therapy differently than maybe we have in the past. I feel like it's time to upgrade um, the speech experience. It's not just let's go somewhere and, you know, make the R sound for 30 minutes and see if we can take some data on that. So Jesse, do you have some words of encouragement for our current speech therapists who are in the school, um, as everybody knows, our school system is like, 
I don't know, in quicksand right now, just everything feels so overwhelming, so heavy. You, you can't get ahead. Um, you know, you feel like you're not doing your job because you can't do what you want to do to help a child. Can you give some words of encouragement to our speech therapists who are showing up every day? Yeah. I mean, not to sound too soapboxy, probably just made up that word, but you know, I've always felt that our job is so much greater than just a speech session. It's to help our kids, you know, be validated and embraced and loved for who they are. And I think if therapists are just showing up and every day striving to connect with their kid and whatever that way that may be, and it might mean throwing the goals out, the, the traditional goals out the window and really just focusing on how can I be there for this child and how can I make a connection with this child? That's how we learn and grow is through those supportive, warm, nurturing relationships. So I think ultimately that that's where our focus should be in the schools. And if people are, you know, feeling so overwhelmed and dysregulated themselves is focus on, go back to that, focus on connection. It will be regulating for you. It will be regulating for your kids. And then ultimately you're just going to be building stronger connections, which is going to help kids, not just in the immediate future, but in their life. So perfect. I love that. I love that helping the child in that way can actually help you enjoy your job more. So on that note, we're going to say bye to everyone. Make sure you check the show notes, look for the links. And of course, don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode, hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Make sure everybody knows that you loved this. And of course, share with a couple of friends too. We got to get this information out so more IEP teams can be more successful so we can help every child be prepared for further education, employment, and independent living. Jesse, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much.